Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Dr. Howard Hendricks. And for over 50 years, he was a professor at the Dallas Theological Seminary. He was known for his memorable quotes. And here are three of them. Number one, the measure of you as a leader is not what you do, but what others do because of what you do. Number two, if we stop learning today, we stop teaching tomorrow. And finally, number three, your strengths develop your confidence, your weaknesses develop your faith. Today's message is priorities amidst pressure. this afternoon, I'd like to move into two areas, as time allows. First of all, I'd like to discuss with you the subject of priorities. And then I'd like to share with you some principles that God has graciously taught me through the years and that I think may be of help to you. There are four ingredients to practical Christian living and ministry. The first of these we mentioned last night objectives. And I want to give you a question for each of these that will help you nail them down in your thinking and to come back and do your homework. Because at the end of the session, you're going to have a lot more to do than you had before you started. The session doesn't end when I'm thrilled. And the value of the session doesn't depend on me. It depends on what you do with what we discussed this afternoon. Number one, objectives. The question is, what do you want? Now, that's a tricky wicket, because most of us are talking a better game than we're playing. I have students in my office all the time, and I say, all right, son, what do you want? What will it take you to give, what will it take to give you complete fulfillment? The guy says, well, prof, I, I like to be a man of God. Fantastic. I'm all for that. What's that involved? Well, that, that involves becoming a man of God. Well, great. How do you become a man of God? Coming to Dallas Seminary? Well, you know, I hope that'll help. <laughs> well, I got news for you. That may not help you at all. That may push you over the cliff. Why, we have more men graduate from Dallas Seminary who are highly qualified to be utterly useless than you can imagine. <laughs> so I talk all the time to parents. What do you really want? Oh, I want my boy to grow up to be a significant person for Jesus Christ. Then why don't you get your hands off him? Why are you guilty of emotional incest? Why is it that you make every decision for your kid? I'll tell you why because you cannot run the risk, the mistakes of a kid who's going to make some bummer decisions. And finally, they get the end product, and they don't like it. Oh, <laughs> mine. <laughs> yeah, and that product was produced by a process, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, I can't find one parent in 25 that can tell me specifically what are their objectives. Is it any wonder that we're not even coming near to the target? 
Suppose I ask you, write down a three-by-five card, write down the three most important things you'd like to develop in your son, your daughter. Do you write something down? What do you want? Secondly, the second ingredient is priorities. And notice the relationship to objectives. In objectives, I ask, what do I want? In priorities, I ask, how badly do I want them? What price am I willing to pay? If I ask you right now, you want a good relationship with your wife? Oh, you brother, believe it, Brother Henry. That's right. Thanks for reminding me. So what price are you willing to pay? You're not willing to pay the price of being a great big preacher. So don't tell me about what your problem is. A student graduate right at the top of the class this year. He came into my office. He said, Prof, I made the wrong decisions. I said, well, I'm encouraged that you've come to that conclusion, at least at this point. He said, I graduated near the top of my class and at the bottom of my spiritual life. That's right. Because a student wants an A more than he wants intercourse with the infinite God. It's just that simple. How badly do you want it? Third, I don't want this to be too convicting, so we better move on. The component of schedule. Here you ask and answer the question, how can I implement it? Now, I know what you're thinking. You say, oh, no, we're not going to talk about that. Schedule is a demon chaperone keeping me from doing what I like to do. No, it's a means of helping you accomplish what you want to do. A student in my office said, Prof, I want to be a man of God. I said, great. What do you think it means? What do you think it will take? He said, well, obviously a man would have to be a man of the word. I said, man, that's good thinking. I said, let me see your schedule. My what? Your schedule. <laughs> well, I don't have a schedule. Yeah, I said, you do. It's probably a bum one, but... What you mean is you haven't written it down. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I said, okay, that's your assignment for the next hour. Go out and write your schedule down. Put everything down, hour by hour. Bring it back. Boy walks in. Here it is, prop. Schedule. Great. I said, okay, now, as I remember, correct, I remember correctly, you change it. You want to be a man of God? You think it'll take you becoming a man of the word. Is that right? Right, prop, right on target. I said, okay, let's look in the schedule. You look over that schedule, I say, you know, there's nothing on that schedule that will guarantee you will become a man of God. Because there's nothing on that schedule that guarantees you're going to be a man of the word. So we've been talking a lot these days about preaching, and man, we better commit ourselves to it. There's a subtle club in the middle of that. Good preaching comes at a high price tag. You can't get it in a bargain basement. You can't get it running over and buying some sermons. And as I get very honest with men who ask me to sustain this kind of ministry to them, I say, man, let me see your schedule. So I got news for you. You will never be an expositor of the word of God, period. Because there's not that much time in your schedule when you're going to hide yourself 
in a study to produce that kind of a product. What you're saying is, I'd like to be, but I don't want to pay that high a price tag. Fourth, the component of discipline. That's the heart of a life and of a ministry. That is when you ask and answer the question, what is your dynamic? Isn't it interesting that this passage we alluded to in Ephesians is right in the direct context of the control by the Spirit of God? Because that's what it'll take to redeem your time. You can't pull it off. He's going to have to master you. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and so forth. But remember, in the and so forth is self-control. And if there's any area of your life over which the Spirit does not have control, then you need to learn more about the control by the Spirit of God. Your time, your money, your appetite, your recreational life, etc., etc. Now, let's take these four ingredients, and let me share with you four essentials. These are the things that must be in order that other things might be. Here we've got the four components that constitute the distinctives of life and ministry. Now, in that area, we've got priorities. So what are my priorities? Well, you'll have to determine yours. I think in the ministry, a man has four commitments. First of all, maintaining personal and spiritual integrity. Maintaining personal and spiritual integrity. That has to do with your relationship with the Lord. And I say to you very categorically, as I say to a student at the seminary, my friend, if you've got to flunk out of seminary, then flunk out in fellowship with Jesus Christ rather than graduating at the top of the class out of fellowship with him. You want to flush out of the ministry? Legitimately flush out. Because the church said, this man is so walking with Jesus Christ, we really can't tolerate him. That's the way to go out. See, it's got to be that high on your priorities. And men, that's the issue of integrity, of what we call congruence. The relationship between what you say and what you do. Students often ask me, Prof, how do you account for the fact that Jesus Christ had a profound impact upon the life of individuals, even with limited exposure? I think it's accounted for by the area of congruence. Nothing Jesus Christ ever did was contradictory to what he said and vice versa. By the way, that's what flushes a lot of guys out in the ministry. See, you can pull it off with people, but you can't pull it off with yourself. I can fool you any day of the week, but I can't kid myself. I've got to live with myself. I've got to go home. And if I go home over a period of time and the phoniness element is so high, 
then after a while, even if I have a modicum of honesty, I've got to say, I've got to get out. See, and the people in your church are not looking for a perfect pastor. Don't try to pull that off. Don't try to impress them with that. But they are looking for an honest one. They are looking for a progressing one. They are looking for someone whose primary heartbeat is that what I'm preaching from this pulpit is what I am experiencing by the grace of God in my life. I'm involved in the struggle just like you are. But you, my parishioners, are beginning to see more and more of the supernatural changes that Jesus Christ pulls off in my life. Can I confess something to you? The hardest task, I mean the hardest task I ever face in my life as a seminary professor is maintaining my walk with Jesus Christ. I fight for my life in this thing. And everything in the world, including the Christian community, is designed to shoot me out of the saddle. Get out of that bed. Blanket victory. But face it, a lot of us are sacrilegious. <laughs> I just love H.A. Ironside. Oh, man, what, the God, what God did in my life through that dear brother. The thing I appreciated about him most was his gutsy spiritual life. I don't know about you, but this Pollyanna sort of flowers and daisies routine just doesn't do a blessed thing for me. And I remember some ultra-pious student coming up to him when we were in the seminary and said, Dr. Einstein, I understand you get up very early in the morning to fellowship with the Lord and read the Word and pray. Oh, yeah, he said, I've been doing that for many years. He said, well, how do you manage to get up? He said, do you pray about it? He said, no, I get up. <laughs> My friend, you don't need to pray about this. You know you've got the directive to get your frame out of a bed if that's what it takes and get down on your knees and get the word open because otherwise you are trying to minister to others when all of the time you're starving and men you can starve in a seminary in the midst of all of these stockpiles of truth I have been doing this for 24 years without getting the picture and every single month as I evaluate my life I've got to come back to this priority and say Lord if I flush out of the seminary I'm going out in fellowship with Jesus Christ and it's a constant battle. Second, developing marital intimacy. Boy, I wish I had time to interview every one of you guys. And after I talk with you, without you knowing it, I'd like to talk to your wife. See, I've been in this too long to be impressed by what you can do in public. I have been in the ministry long enough to know that even in the evangelical community, you can be very successful in public ministry in the flesh. But I'll tell you, you'll never be successful in your marriage in the flesh. Husbands, love your wife. Christ loved the church. Man, that's a full-time job. A student come into my office sometimes and said, Prof, I, I don't think I love my wife enough. I mean, I, I think I love my wife too much. I said, you've got to be kidding. No, I said, run that by again. I just love to hear it. I took him to this passage in Ephesians. He says, man, this is husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You mean to tell me you love her that much? Oh, no, not that much. Then I said, you better get with it. <laughs> and I've yet to see an exception. You show me a man of God 
whose wife will testify to that fact. And I will show you a man with a Gillette edge on his testimony. And you show me a guy coming into the pulpit week after week when all of the time there's a woman sitting there and say, it sounds great. Well, that's too convicting, too. Third. <laughs> Takes an unusual form of grace to be a minister's wife. Right? Yeah. Right. You better say that. Third. Third task you have is fulfilling parental responsibility. Now, mark the order. See, you will never love your wife as Christ loved the church unless you are desperately in love with Jesus Christ. You'll never be freed to flow into the life of your wife until you're liberated by Christ, till the love of Christ is shed abroad in your heart. And I'll tell you, you'll never pull it off with your kids unless you and your wife are intact. Oh, it's beautiful to have kids that are grown. Most rewarding thing. I think for the first time in my life, I'm beginning to understand what John meant when he said, I have no greater joy than that my children walk in the truth. Boy, I pumped those kids because I have been determined under God to find out what is it that constitutes the area of communication and where is it that I have blown it that I need to share with my brothers in Jesus Christ. And I said to my four kids, tell me, tell me not what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. How in the world did it ever come off? And over and over again, they'll say, Dad, the one thing we knew, we knew you had limitations. We knew mom was human as much as we think of her. The one thing we knew is that you and mom were incurably, hopelessly in love with each other. Gentlemen, I say to you, the greatest thing you can do for your children is to love your children's mother. And if you don't do that, you really don't have that much to give to your kids. The fourth one, establishing professional proficiency. But now that's where most of us begin. Boy, I want to be a good preacher, man. Give me some illustrations. Show me how to bag that thing. Man, I need some help in packaging the material. My friend, the first three priorities give leverage to your preacher. What kind of a man is it that preaches? It's a man who's growing in his relationship to Jesus Christ. It's a man who's growing in his relationship to his wife. It's a man who's growing in his relationship to his children. Man, that's the kind of guy I need to hear. So he's got something to say to me. Not who's got all of the answers, but who's involved in the process, just as I am. I talked to a wife of a Christian worker. I spend a lot of time with Christian organizations and their leadership. And I get some people who tell me some things that are pretty graphic. This gal in this little office they set up for me said, yeah, I know, God, home, and ministry. But in actuality, it's ministry, 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 and more ministry. You know, I sort of had the idea she was bitter. <laughs> and to be honest with you, my sympathies are with her. Now, obviously, there is a time when each of these four is in focus. May I give you just a practical clue? Will you enjoy it? Man, if you're preaching, preach to the hilt. You know, there's nothing worse than to hear a guy who says, well, you know, brethren, here we are again. 
It's wonderful to serve Jesus. By the way, if you don't think you infect your congregation with your attitudes, you got another thought coming. Boy, they really pick up those vibes, even at the subconscious level. Well, what about when you're playing with your kids? You enjoying that? Well, he said, boy, that's right. Thank you, Brother Hendricks. Reminding me. You go home after this conference. Say, come on, son. Let's go. Play ball. Hendricks says I'm supposed to play with you. Come on, hurry up now. I don't have a lot of time. I got to get back to my kennel. <clears throat> you know, boom, throw it right through. Where would you rather be? 101 places. You know where you might as well be? Any one of the 101. You know what the great sin of our Christian experience is? We're either living in the past or looking forward to the future, but not enjoying the now. Oh, yeah, I remember one day. Oh, man, that was when Jesus was precious. <laughs> And oh boy, someday he's going to come and take his bailers out of this rhubarb. <laughs> See, but, you know, are you joined today? I mean, right now. I talk all the time to ministers, Christian workers. That's what they're always telling me about. What, what used to happen here and what someday we hope, you know, will come back around the corner. They say, aren't you enjoying today? Well, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Let me share with you just a few of these principles in the brief time we've got. Number one, measure your minutes. Now, gentlemen, time is a great leveler. That's the one thing we all have in common. Strictly speaking, it is not true that all men are created equal. We don't have the same IQ. We don't have the same spiritual gift. We don't have the same background. There are many things that we do not have in common, but there's one thing that every man in this room has in common. That's 24 hours a day. President Ford has no more time than you do. Jesus Christ on earth as a man had no more time than you do. Just 24 hours in which to do the Father's will. And mind you, that was pressed in a three and a half year period. You talk about pressure. But he's never under pressure because he's got priorities. He said, I've got a lot of things to say to you, gentlemen, but you're not able to bear them now, but that's no problem to me because when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. But you know, we got this come by, man, I got to teach this guy everything I know. Day before yesterday. See, the real issue is not the amount of time, but the use of time. I keep coming back to those penetrating words of Catherine Marshall who, seeing that casket go out of her sight for the last time, said, I'm so delighted to have the confidence that a man's life does not consist of its duration, but of its donation. Not how long did the man live, but how well. So don't ask for more time. Ask for wisdom to use the time you already have. There are two dimensions to time, and we tend to think only in terms of one. There are hours, and there, are, there is energy. And if you waste one, you waste the other. 
And if you use one, you enhance the value of the other. And your task is to get more miles per minute in terms of the energy God has given to you. This is why many times my students say, well, you know, Prof, why, why don't you do this? Don't you enjoy it? I enjoy it very much. It just doesn't help me accomplish my priorities. It just totally devastates my energy. And I'm getting to the point where I'm getting increasingly more sensitive about that. See, I don't have eternity in which to live. And I'm looking down the other end of that tunnel, and I'm saying to myself, man, you know, maybe 15, who knows, maybe 20 in the grace of God. What am I going to do with my life for the next 15 or 20 years now that I'm out of children? See, we got a whole new ball game my wife and I are putting together in terms of ministry. But it's always related to hours and to energy. Dear brother in our community who's meant so much to me, high-ranking executive for a corporation, said, Hendricks, you really got to me. And he said, it finally dawned on me one day when I was driving on that freeway, wasting all of that time and losing my joy, that this isn't really a smart way to fly. So he said, I changed my whole schedule. And he said, by coming a half hour earlier in the morning and by going home a half hour earlier, I cut off 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon, and I've now got 40 more minutes to spend with my family and with the Savior. And after he talked to me, I thought, you know, that's a good idea. I ran a little stopwatch, and I find that at best it takes me 22 minutes to go to seminary. Now, you know, most of us, we, you know, get all uptight over the person, you know, puts out their arm to make a right-hand turn and turns left right in front of us. And I got some tapes of the scripture. And I am finding that in one year, I can read all the way through the scriptures in the most meaningful way. Because when you hear it through the auditory canal, you hear an altogether different word than just sitting here and reading it. And I read book after book from the scriptures on my way home. On my way to the seminary, I developed my memory program. My great regret as a young man is that somebody didn't force me to spend more time memorizing the scripture. So I'm doing it now. It just comes a little harder, that's all. It slips out a little easier. Second, plug the leaks. Time often slips through your fingers like sand through a slit sieve. And most men in the ministry do not plan to fail. They fail to plan. And if you don't plan your life, somebody else will plan it for you. I find most people are very generous with my time. The only problem with allowing somebody else to pour me into their mold is they don't have my objectives. They don't have my priority. Let me show you what I'm talking about. As a young man coming up in the ministry, boy, I had to fight for my life in terms of my family. You know, it was so wonderful when nobody knew you. Oh, man, that was fantastic. Howard who? 
You know, I didn't, who in the world wanted to invite me to anything? So you had a lot of time. And pretty soon you start getting, you know, just what you're experiencing every day. Boy, somebody else says, man, I hear that Bible class you got over there. It's fantastic. How about come from one over in our place? Well, yeah, man, you know, if one's good, two's better. Two better? Boy, four. Woo! You know, pretty soon, all over the place. And my wife one day said to me, uh, hey, hon, we got some time to sit down and go over the priorities again? Yeah, dear, that's, that's a good idea. Man, I really appreciate your insight. And I discovered that my family, which was number three on that priority list, as I've shared to you, was about number 23 in my life. And I had to make some real tough decisions. I used to have people call me up and say, Brother Hendricks, will you come over to preach for us? No, I'm sorry, I can't come. Oh, why? You preaching somewhere else? No, I'm not. I'm going to play with my kids. You what? <laughs> I'm going to play with my kids. <laughs> you mean to tell me you're not coming over to preach the word to us? No, I'm not coming over to preach the word to you. I'm going to stay home and practice it with my kids. Is that all right? You almost hear on the other end, you know, that's how liberalism gets started in the seminaries. <laughs> Boy, and I listened to that baloney, and the first thing you know, I wipe four kids right out of the saddle, and people say, so who wants to listen to you? Oh, gentlemen of God, I plead with you with all of the passion of my heart. Don't allow your people to pour you into a mold to which God has never called you. You better get your directions from God. And if they're all hung up over that, my friend, that's their problem. And maybe God will use you to instruct them that I got to plug those leaks because I've never found it convenient to have a lot of time for my family. I have had to carve it out and go to all kinds of ingenious routes to make sure it was coming through. Third, learn to say no. It's the hardest thing to say. Simplest word to spell, the hardest one to apply. If you stop to think through my own involvement, same thing is true of you. You identify it in terms of your coming to this conference. In order for me to be here this week, I have had to say no to a dozen different things, all of which are good things, things I would love to do, things that would make a great impact for Jesus Christ. But in my judgment, this is right on the target. And I said yes to Moody Bible Institute because I said no to all kinds of other things. My friend, Jesus Christ did not heal everyone when he was on earth. Jesus Christ did not build into the life of everyone while he was on earth. And neither can you. And you're going to have to come to grips with a realization that you can't do everything. You are a human being in space and time, and you got built-in limitations. Fourth, relaxation is not wasted time. Boy, we need to hear this, don't we? Because, you see, we came out of a Puritan ethic. And a Puritan said, work is good. Pleasure is bad. Modern society said, pleasure is good. Work is bad. They're both wrong. 
Work is good, so is pleasure. The question is to sort them out. If you work when you work and play when you play, you're liable to become a genius. But our problem is we're playing when we should be working and we're working when we should be playing. I got off a plane. Man said, Prof, let me go get your bags. I was going to have a week of meetings there. I could tell his wife wanted to talk to me. She got me over in a corner. She said, Professor Hendricks, will you do me a favor? I said, if I can. I said, will you talk to my husband? She said, we haven't taken a vacation for four years, and he's gotten his sleep down to four hours a night. And frankly, we can't live with him. He's ruining the family, decimating his testimony. I said, well, I'll see what I could do. So about Thursday of that week, we were driving down a freeway. I said, hey, friend, uh, how come you don't smoke? Don't smoke. <laughs> he said, Prof, uh, <laughs> I've never smoked. Well, I said, I've been here all week, and I haven't seen you light up, and I wondered why. <laughs> he said, uh, Professor Hendricks, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I said, that's fantastic. I said, is that also why you're prostituting it with four hours of sleep a night? See, that's the kind of sloppiness that seeps into our thinking. And I kid you not, men, I think so highly of you. I'm spending more and more time in this type of thing. I wish I had a week just to go through the Word of God and to get you into a true seminar where you worked out, I mean the details, as to how you're going to spend your time in terms of your priority. And I'll tell you one thing that I would really work over. I would work over how much time do you have for relaxation, for physical exercise. I believe we could add five to ten years to the life of every man in this room with a proper exercise program. And you're too significant to lose. Diet. Ooh, boy. <laughs> After being here this week, that's a bad news item. And I have to go back and go on my Metrical, which I like, by the way, poured over ice cream with whipped cream and nuts. It's beautiful. <laughs> Let me give you the last one. Need an hour. Now hear me very carefully. Tailor make your own schedule. Will you quit reading books? That's a terrible thing for a seminary professor to say, isn't it? Well, I get more guys wiped out because they read a book and go, oh, brother souls are get up at 5.30. Say, no, 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 stay in bed, friend, so we can live with you, okay? Boy, he's a bear. But I'll tell you one thing I would recommend to you. You can read all kinds of books if you'll promise to study yourself as a person. I used to wipe myself out. I was 55 pounds heavier than I am. I was so fast on the road to eternity, it's unreal. Christian doctor friend of mine said to me, Hendricks, I'm going to tell you something. You've been telling me something for years. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't lose some pounds, don't come back and see me, okay? I'll see you in heaven. Well, I came off with agony, and I keep them off. You wouldn't believe the agony I have to spend. And I go around to these conferences, and they feed you the last meal everywhere you go. You know, pretty soon you emerge as the gospel blimp. <laughs> and I discovered that by bringing a large meal in the middle of the day, I 
totaled my afternoon. And would you believe it? In the seminary, we feed the guys the biggest meal in the middle of the day. So where does your blood go? To your gut. But it needs to be in your head. And when it's in your gut instead of your head, you're... You know, where you are now. <laughs> Always talk in terms of your needs. So I started to bring some crackers and cheese and a piece of fruit. I used to go out for dinner. That was a wipeout. Why, well, used to take me an hour and a quarter to an hour and a half time. Now I say to students, hey, buddy, have a coming up and have lunch with me. We'll spend about a half an hour eating together, rapping together, and then we'll spend 15 minutes in prayer. What's that? Oh, great, prof. And he come up, man, 45 minutes, that's half of the time it used to take me. I get a ministry to students, and I could function all afternoon. Now, you've got to study yourself. Find out when are you most efficient. Well, a lot more I want to say about that, but let me say to you, dear brethren in Jesus Christ, what a privilege it is to be invited to share these sessions with you. My heart's cry to God for you is that you will learn how to redeem the time because believe me, the days are evil. You don't have eternity in which to pull off this task. Just a little slice of time. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Howard Hendricks. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers. 